The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org.
morning, church. In the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, we read, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. You know, the last time I was up here, we were, I was discussing you guys, with you guys about uh, traveling and traveling in the open road. And uh, I'm not sure about you guys, but whenever I'm out traveling, when I'm driving, it doesn't matter if I'm driving from the house to the town, from my school to another school, it doesn't matter. Um, I have to look out the window. You know, occasionally, occasionally I'll look in my rearview mirror, but if I'm going to be successful getting from point A to point B, I have got to look out of my window. You know, I am not very effective driving forward if I continue to look backwards. And, you know, the same thing goes for us living our life. You know, Christ calls us to live actively dwelling in his love. And in order to live actively, we have to live forward. We have to live looking forward. You know, The reason that he calls us to live actively is because God died in the past, but he was raised and he lives forever. He lives for my future. He lives for your future. He lives in the present and he lives in the future. You know, God first loved us and he continues to do so. We don't need to be unsure of his love. Because God's love is defined and was demonstrated on the cross. We have no reason to be afraid inside of God's love. You know, his love, his, his mercy that he gives us is an amazing gift. And that gift was specifically for each and every one of us. You know, I saw a picture the other day that... It opened my eyes, and at the same time, it stepped on my toes. And it was just a picture of a board, and that board said, If the living knew what the dead know, everyone would come to a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm going to take that a step further. If the dead in Christ knew what the living in Christ know, everyone would come to a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been tasked with the job of sharing God's love. And we share it with those people that we come in contact with daily. We need to make sure that those people that we come in contact with, the dead in Christ, whenever we make contact with them, they can see by the way we live our life what the love of Christ is all about. We must show them, we must demonstrate for them the love of Christ. You know, I've once heard... Sometimes we are the only Bible that some people will ever read. And we have to represent him in a way that brings glory and honor to our Lord Jesus Christ. As we come to this table today, remember, we are his visual picture of his love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made in sending your son to die on the cross for us. We thank you for loving us enough to save us, but loving us more than we can imagine and not allowing us to stay where we're at. Lord, you call us to live forward. 
we have to live looking out the front. And we have to live in a way that everybody can see your love and your power by the way we live our lives. Lord, thank you again. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. It may have been the greatest epic fail of all time. Now, most of you have heard of epic fails. You've seen this on social media. It usually involves someone that intended to do something really great, and it really crashed and burned. Uh, you know, a rope swing out over the river, but they didn't let go at the right time, and so they bounce on this. Or, or they're on the roof thinking they're going to jump into the pool, and alcohol may have been involved, and... And they miss, and they bounce, and we all laugh. And there's a pogo stick. Why is there always a pogo stick? I don't understand that. And so we see these epic fails, and they were intended to be something, but they didn't work out great. You see, it started as a challenge. It moved into a brag. It ended in humiliation. I'm speaking of Peter. When he talked to Jesus and and Jesus said, everybody's going to leave me. And he said, I'll never leave you. It's bad enough denying Christ on the night of his betrayal, but to, to boast that you wouldn't do it, to, that you wouldn't do that specific thing, that's got to be hard. As we head into the Easter season, the Passover celebration, let's go on a walk. I want to go on a walk, not a run, not a drive. I want to walk through some time in their sandals. Now, if you've been in church any amount of time, you see a title of a new series, I Am, that you're probably going, oh, he's going to do all the I Am statements that Jesus said. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the true vine. I'm the good shepherd. All those. They're beautiful passages, and they're great. that's a great series. I'm not doing that series. That's not what this is about. This is the I in this series is you and me. I want to walk in their sandals. I want, to, I want to think what it must have been like to be there. I mean, think about that week. It would have been pandemonium, but it would have been kind of appealing. Jerusalem at that time was a town of about 30,000 people. Think Clovis. But during the week of Passover, they would come from everywhere, and the town could swell to as much as 500,000 people. Half a million people in Clovis, think about that. That would be a little challenging. There would be noise, there would be energy, there would be expectations, there would be frustrations. And what about all this stuff that Jesus has been saying for the last few weeks? Oh, I'll tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. The Son of Man has to suffer and die, but he will be resurrected on the third day. How does that all play into it? Can the noise around us upset the plans within us? We're going to be in John a lot this uh, series, so I'm going to invite you to join me in John chapter 18 with your Bibles online or at home. Thank you for tuning in, even on the radio. John 18, we're going to start in verse 15. We're going to be a lot in the book of John throughout the next few weeks, but I I encourage you to bring your Bible, to get your app. We want to be a Bible-believing and a Bible-using church. John 18, I'm going to pick up in 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Jump down now to verse 25 and pick up in verse 25. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, No, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. We first meet Peter when he's fishing. In Luke chapter 5, 
He and his buddy have been out fishing all night long, and this guy's standing on the shore and says, Did you catch anything? No, we didn't catch anything. He says, Go out in deep waters. Now, you need to understand that what's going on behind the scenes here. Peter is an experienced fisherman. And these experienced fishermen that fished on the Sea of Galilee, they used linen nets that had weights around the edge of it. They fished in the shallows real close to shore. They would throw this net out so that it would sink quickly, and they would drag it as quick as they could to gather up as many fish as they could. Now, this guy comes, and he's standing on the, on the beach, and, oh, they did it all at night. They fished at night so that the fish would be alive, you know, jumping and moving. And so they would try to get as many. This is now the morning. They're coming in, and they're finishing up. The heat is starting to kick up. And there are no fish in the deep part. And he says, go out into deep water and get fish. Now, Peter looks at Jesus with a different set of eyes, I think. Because Peter actually had met Jesus before. Jesus had showed up at his mother-in-law's house and had healed her. So Jesus, Peter already had a view of this Jesus, but I wonder if it wasn't a, a view of a, a do-gooder, a preacher. That's all he can do. He's just a do-good guy. I mean, he, he did heal my mother-in-law. That's a cool thing. But, but that's, a, that's where he's at. And what we see often depends on what we look for. I wonder if Peter just saw him as a preacher and said, you don't know the first thing about fishing. But he, then he says, but because you said so, I'll go out. I'll try it. And we know the rest of that story in Luke chapter 5. Within minutes, there are fish jumping in the boat. There are nets tearing. There are yelling out for friends to bring another boat. It's almost sinking them both. Peter had a view of Jesus that fit in a box, and Jesus blew the box up. I'm afraid sometimes we approach Jesus the same way. He's just a preacher. Church is just for Sunday. It doesn't affect my work. It doesn't affect my relationships. It doesn't affect my family. But you see, in that way, we're a lot like Peter. We don't see him as something that can affect every part of our life. Jesus can affect your business, your classroom, your family. And that's what he wants to do. I, I got a story this week that was really interesting to me. It's called Skunk in a Safety Helmet. And it was a true story. It was written by a lady named, it was a short story by a name, lady named Elizabeth Sherrill. She's a, an author and writer in Chappaqua, New York. And she was sitting in her office at her house and she was working on an article. And, and she saw a, a black and white and yellow streak in the backyard. And it turned out to be a skunk in a safety helmet. But the more she watched, it wasn't a safety helmet. It was a yogurt cup, a yellow yogurt cup that a skunk had probably been digging in the trash and got this thing on his eyes and nose and snout. And he's just banging into things. She said it was like a cartoon. You know, this thing's just smashing into wall. It can't do anything. And she says, somebody ought to do something about that. And there is no somebody around except her. And, and this thing is in her backyard, and this has disaster written all over it. So she calls animal control. They get her in, in touch with wildlife control. And they tell her, well, you need to get that thing off the skunk's head. Now, like rational people that you are and I are, we are sitting here going, uh-uh-uh, no way. I'm not going near that thing, right? What happens if he sprays me? And they say, well, ma'am, it... If a skunk can't see you, it won't spray you. Okay, that's great. What happens after? You're all doing the same thing, going, I'm still not buying this, all right? I'm not touching that thing. I'm not going within 100 feet of that thing, right? And so, well, then she goes, well, what happens if I get the cup off of his head? And this is their answer. Try not to make the skunk feel threatened. I don't know what kind of counseling courses you've been through, but I'm not exactly sure how to reassure a skunk that I'm not threatening. Let's play a game. You want to play Uno? How do you do that? Uh, anyway, with, armed with this information, she runs out in the backyard. She made point to say, in my best slacks and outfit, because she had just come from a luncheon, and she had been inspired at this luncheon to write. So she came home, and she's writing. She sees this thing. She runs out, and, she, and about that time, the skunk bunks, bumps into the side of her house. 
and she gets right up on it, and this thing is stuck on this skunk, right? I mean, it's really on there, and she's pulling it, and the skunk, is, she gets down on one knee, and she yanks this thing off, and she is staring eye to eye with this skunk. Not a good day, all right? That is not a good day. And they both sit there, and she said it felt like forever, but it was only a couple of seconds probably. And then suddenly the skunk jumped and ran off, and she jumped and ran off. And everybody made it out alive. But this is how she finishes the story. A timeless parable had played itself out in my backyard. The skunk was all those needs I hesitate to get involved in. Because involvement takes time, and I have deadlines to meet. I probably can't do anything anyway. Somebody else can handle it better. Besides, involvement can be ugly, and the stench may rub off on me. And all these things, of course, may be true. But I've got a yellow pencil holder on my desk, a rather scratched and battered one to remind me that every now and then, God's answer to a need is me. It's a fun little story, but that paragraph really caught me. We could be the answer to a need. Could we? I mean, I want you to go with me on one thing. We're on this walk with these stories. Jesus met Peter at an intersection in his life. An intersection in his life at a time he would listen. And I wonder if there isn't a lesson in between the lines here. Peter was struggling. His business wasn't doing very good. His mother-in-law had been sick. He was at the intersection of hard work and little return. Have you ever been there? Because I believe life happens at intersections. See if I can illustrate it this way. You go into your neighborhood every day and then suddenly there is in your neighborhood a U-Haul moving van and a car with out-of-state plates at a house that has been up for sale for quite a while. And you see these people, but you don't know them. And, and you wonder what's going on. But I can assure you they are at an intersection, an intersection of change and uncertainty. And a gesture of, mo- of friendship in that moment could go a long way. You have a moment right there that you might not get again. Could we be that people? Maybe you're on social media and you find out an old classmate is discovered they got cancer. Maybe you're not close to that classmate. Maybe you never were, but you haven't caught up with them and you feel a little weird about about reaching out to them right now, but they're at the intersection of fear and suffering. May, they may never be more open to hearing a word of hope. Maybe you are the one that points them to Jesus with a simple phrase, can I pray for you? Maybe a friend is going through a divorce. They're at the intersection of disappointment and despair. They're saying stuff like, I never thought this could happen to me. Maybe you are Jesus for them. Or maybe it's in a hospital waiting room. Before COVID, I spent a lot of time in hospital waiting rooms in Lubbock and Amarillo and here. I, I would sit with families and I enjoy that time and inter, interacting there. And sometimes I'm just waiting for somebody to get out of surgery or something. And this happened many times. There would be a family over there that you could see just hit an intersection. Now, maybe it was they came from an accident or maybe that somebody in their family, the disease had taken a turn from the worst, but you could tell on their face the intersection that they were at. And so a couple of times I went up and I just tapped on the shoulder. I said, I'm sorry, I don't know you, but I'm a pastor from out of town. Can I just pray for you quickly? You know what? Not one time have they told me no. They'll never tell you no. Even the worst atheist at that moment is so grasping for anything because they're at an intersection. Can we be that people? Now here's what I need you to get out of this as a baseline. If prayer matters, because that's how we started 2022, all right? We started January all a people of prayer. 
And we spend all this time focusing on prayer. And there's new prompts coming out every Monday that Franklin's putting out on our social media to keep being a people of prayer. And we've spent the last six weeks saying identity matters, that our enemy tries to steal our identity, but we want to be focused on being his child. Well, if prayer matters and identity matters, then how Jesus interacts with people matters. And we have got to see how he is interacting and how we can interact in the same way. You see, Luke tells the story about the first catch of fish, but John tells the story about the last catch of fish. Join me over in John chapter 21. We're going to spend, I said, a lot of time in the book of John. About two-thirds of the book of John is the last week of Jesus' life, that Passion Week. So we're going to look at some of the interactions he has with people. But I want you to see this part. Do you realize that all four Gospels tell of Peter's denial? But the book of John is the only one that tells of his restoration. And this is how this plays out. John chapter 21, start in verse 3. Peter and the other disciples... Excuse me, that's 20. Uh, 21. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. Can you just hear him giggling? (laughs) They're on the other side of the boat. Throw it over there. I don't know. It's just where my weird brain goes. Um, So he finished. So they did, and they couldn't haul it in the net because there were so many fish in it. In verse 7 now. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, he put on his tunic for he'd stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. Put yourself in Peter's sandals. You bragged and you didn't come through. You don't know what else to do, so you go back to what you know. He went fishing. Peter, who was supposed to be fishing for men. Do we remember that? I will make you fishers of men. He's supposed to be fishing for men, was fishing for fish very poorly. (laughs) They hadn't caught anything. He wasn't even doing that any good. Their nets were as empty as their hearts and their souls. Have you ever been there? You thought it was going to work out. But happily ever after turned more less fairy tale and more nightmare. Maybe you worked hard for a career. You put in time and energy and effort, but nobody really appreciates it. And now they're downsizing. Maybe the doctor calls and says, we need to run some more tests. Or maybe it was something you did to yourself. Maybe it was something that you really blew it. And you're sitting here and you want to pray and you want to trust and you want to believe, but you don't know what to do. Maybe you're at that intersection today. Will you meet me here again? But some of us, when we're singing that song, we struggle with that line because it's very questioning. Will he? But some others say, hey, will you come on and meet me here again, Jesus? Because I want to be with you. You see, maybe it was because it was familiar. They fished, but they got empty nets. Their efforts yielded nothing. You ever done that? You've worked hard and you don't have much to show for it? I wonder if God is allowing them, if Jesus is allowing them to work hard and fail so that they will trust Him. That they will do what they think is right, but it's not working, so that they will depend on Him. I want us to take time to listen to what God is saying to us. Because real listening leads to real obedience. It's not just showing up at church a little while. It's changing how we treat people. It says, look after widows and orphans and keep them unself, unspotted from the world. It says, uh, Scripture says to be uh, willing to entertain people because some have entertained angels. 
Will you serve people? Will you look down on people? I think he's calling us to serve and love others in a real powerful way. He's calling Peter to be my servant. This next picture is a picture of Gander International Airport. It is in Newfoundland, Canada, and it's not much to look at. That's the entire waiting room. They have four gates. I think Lubbock is expanding, but it used to have four gates. You know, it was like that wide. You know, it's no, no big deal. The, the place, the entire airport, the, air, the runways and everything cost $3 million to build in 1948. It's a town of 10,000 people. It, they get two or three planes a day. No, not a big deal. It's one of the farther eastmost airports up there, you know, right on the point. So it used to be a launching point for transatlantic flights, but now they got big jets and they can go everywhere. So they don't see much action. Maybe get, like I said, two or three planes a day. But in one fateful day, they took in 38 planes and 7,000 passengers. That one fateful day? Tuesday, November, uh, September 11th. Tuesday, September 11th is a powerful name to us. This is one of those side stories that slipped in under the radar in this thing. This town of 10,000 people exploded when all of the air, air traffic got shut down in America about mid-morning that Tuesday. And, and we couldn't fly anywhere. And there were already flights coming in from Europe. And there were already planes flying around on the eastern seaboard. And New York shut it down. And Washington shut it down. And Baltimore and it was like, nobody going here. And they diverted a whole bunch of them to this little old place in Canada. And 7,000 people showed up in a town of 10,000. Okay, so we're about 15,000. How many hotel rooms do we have here? Do we have 7,000 hotel rooms? Where are we going to put 7,000 people that get there in an hour, all right? You know where they went? They went into people's homes. They went into churches. They, went, they just drove down there and they got them. Some of these people didn't even speak English. I mean, they're coming from foreign... They didn't even know where they were. They're like, come on, you're coming. You can sleep on that couch. We'll get you a bedroll. And they put them in churches. They put them everywhere. The plain people, is what they were called, stayed there. Some stayed there five days. But they never went without food, shelter, or kindness. Doesn't that sound like the way the body of Christ should react? That, that sounds like what God should be calling us to do. Peter used to be the one Jesus could count on. But what about now? I mean, he blew it. Can, can Jesus count on him? Maybe you've blown it. What if you've messed up? What if something has happened to you? Can he count on you? Jump down with me in John 21. Pick up with me in verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Well, yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked you dressed yourself, you went where you wanted to go, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Do you notice what Jesus does not demand in that passage? He never demands an apology. Now, I think we need to repent for our sins. Don't don't go out of here saying, Don doesn't care. No, that's not what I said at all. I'm saying that Jesus didn't really feel a need to beat him down right then. He wanted to build him up. Look at how he probably approached. If Jesus called you over after you know what you did the other night, I mean, head bowed, he is uncharacteristically quiet. There's no argument this time on who's the greatest. That's been settled. You've dried off a little, you've eaten, and Jesus asked this question. Do you love me? 
And then he says, feed my sheep. And, and we all know that he asked it three times to, you know, to, to drown out the three mistakes before. I get that, and I, I love that. I think that's beautiful. He, he even prophesies how Peter will die. But he's saying, you have a mission. You are to be a fisher of men. You should not be fishing for fish. You should be fishing for men. Do you realize... Look at it this way. Jesus could have said to Peter, you thought that lake was empty. You thought there were no fish in that lake. I showed you differently. What does this have to do with any of us? God has called us to fish. He's called us to go fishing for men, for women, for people, for neighbors. We are to be that. And I'm afraid too often when we look in the mirror, we should see Jesus, but we see too much of Peter. You may have thought your life is over and empty. Friends, if you're breathing, God has a purpose for you. You may have thought you blew it too bad. Nope, not possible. Peter went back to what he knew. He went back to fishing. But sometimes our return to our default is not always the best. I wish that all of us would respond to our default setting would be trust. Wouldn't that be great? Amen? Okay, I'd love that. But sometimes my default is anger, frustration, bitterness. Anybody? I go back to what I knew. Maybe you're sitting there. Well, I quit drinking and my marriage didn't get any better, so I might as well go over and get a bottle. Hey, I, Don, I tried praying. I tried reading my Bible, but nothing got better. Our job situation's just as bad. We fight as much at home. So what's the big deal? What we need more of is we need more of listening to what he is saying. Not just go to church, not just go through some motions, but listen to what he is saying. Do we remember what the first thing that Jesus said to what would later on become his apostles? Remember what his first words to them were? Follow me. What were the last words of this encounter with, with Peter here? Look at that in the end of verse 19. It said, then Jesus told him, follow me. It's the same thing. You might have screwed up, but God still loves you. You might have denied him, but he still wants you. He wants you to listen to what he has for us to do. So friends, as we see this Passion Week unfold, and you're going to hear that phrase a lot, I pray that you see yourself in this story, that you and I are in this story. Because the passion that Jesus has is for you and me. That's what the Passion Week is all about. I am in this story. I am Peter. And like I said, I'm afraid that too many times I'm, God is calling us to look in the mirror and to, to see Jesus. I see a lot of Peter. Anybody else? I see, I react like him. I shoot off my mouth like him. But Jesus is saying, follow me. I can make you full. And there's that line in that song, if he doesn't come, I'm not enough. But he will come, folks. He will be in your life. Will you let him change you? Will you let him transform you into not, but to enough? Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.